Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, dear Christian friends. I am my own worst enemy. If you've ever found yourself staring down at a, a credit card statement that is a reflection of one unnecessary purchase after another while claiming to try and get in a good place financially, you know what that phrase, I'm my own worst enemy, means. You also know what it means if you're staring at an empty carton of ice cream with regret in the midst of trying to, to lose some weight or hit some health goals. You know what it means as you see an empty bottle staring at you or an ashtray filled with cigarette butts while you are trying to quit or kick that habit or addiction. You know what the phrase means when your app shows you that contrary to your efforts at trying to decrease your screen time, you've actually used your phone or been on it more the last week than previously. And as those, those piles and all of that clutter in your office, in your room, in your house, in, in your bedroom, wherever it might be, as those grow instead of decrease while you claim to try and, and be getting organized and getting your act together, you know exactly what the phrase, I am my own worst enemy, means. Because in all of those situations, what is the common denominator? You are. I am. We're the single most influential person that gets in the way of our achieving success or hitting goals or growing personally or developing. And, and so we know when we get our own way exactly what that phrase means. And so does... So does Paul, though I don't know if the phrase existed at the time of Paul, who wrote this letter that we call the Book of Romans. But had it existed, Paul would have agreed full well, yes, I am my own worst enemy. And he made that point very clear in the spiritual struggle that he described and, and pretty vulnerably shared with us in these verses from Romans. He described that struggle this way in verses 18 and 19. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Paul had desires. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do and recognized that those were even things he wanted to do, but his actions didn't match up. They didn't agree. So his, his, his good intentions were unfortunately hijacked by the reality of his actions, his, his good deeds derailed by, or his good intentions and efforts derailed by his, his deeds at the end of the day. We can probably relate to Paul on that level too, spiritually. What it's like to want to do what we want to do because we know God wants us to do, but, but to fail, to fall so far short you struggle with keeping a tight rein on your tongue because you can't miss out on the opportunity to, to get in a good jab or a sharp barb on somebody else. You maybe wake up one day and say, today's the day. I'm, I'm going to consciously make an effort to make sure that everything I say is, is loving, is kind, is patient, isn't going to belittle or cut anybody down and hurt them with my words. And you fail miserably before the morning has even passed. And you struggle with loving those that Jesus calls us to love, not just our friends and those we get along with, but our enemies 
say, I am going to, to try harder to love them, and you find you just keep falling back, it's so much easier to hate them or dislike them instead. And the matter of forgiveness, how many instances, how many scenarios can each of us play back in our own mind where, where some individual has either done or said something to us either personally, privately, or publicly in the presence of others. And we claim and we tell others we have forgiven that person and we have moved on from it. And yet, every time that name comes up, we can't help but mention what that person did to us. All the while claiming that we've forgiven them and, and moved on. We made a promise to God, this is the last time that I'm going to be on that, that website. Only to break that same promise within that very week. We know the struggle that Paul is describing. Or, or worse yet, maybe we don't. Maybe we don't feel the angst that is very clear in, in Paul's description. And if that's the case, then that's an even bigger red flag for us because it means that we need to reevaluate our relationship with God. Does my sin actually even trouble me anymore? Or am I so comfortable with it? Does my conscience convict me? Does guilt ever weigh me down anymore or have I gotten so used to this sin or that sin? Is hell a, a real fear that play, people are, are really going to go for sins that really condemn and damn us? Does it actually disturb or disappoint me to know that I disappoint God in my actions? And if none of these things bother me or, or, or maybe only slightly, a, a little bit, then we need to do some work. Or better yet, better stated, God's law needs to do some work. And when I use that term law, what I'm describing is one of the main teachings in Scripture where God has made it clear and He exposes that, that His expectation, His standard, is that we hit the mark of perfection and holiness that is required of everybody to get into heaven. Sometimes in, in catechism or other instruction classes, we'll use the illustration of an x-ray machine or a mirror to kind of help us understand the purpose of the law. You might be able to look at your arm or your foot or your leg and, and tell that if it's discolored and swollen, it might be broken. But if you want to know definitively, you'll go and you'll get an x-ray so that they can show you where the break is in that bone so that you can look beneath the surface and see what you can't otherwise see. And you may have just enjoyed a decadent dinner, blissfully ignorant of that spot of food that is on your face, which becomes clear to you the next time that you look in a mirror. An x-ray machine, a mirror, they, they show us what we really look like. They show us what's really going on. And in that regard, God's law is intended to do the same thing, to show us what we really look like. Contrary to what some think, God's law, His commands in Scripture, it's not a blueprint that He hands out to us so that we can use it to construct our own personal stairway to heaven. No, that's not at all the, the point or purpose of God's law. The role that God's law serves is more like, like the diagnostic test that the mechanic gives you when your car has been making funny noises or not working properly and he gives you that printout and he shows you everything that's not working properly, everywhere that your car is, is not functioning the way that it should be so that it can be fixed. That is what God's law does to us when it exposes the sin that is very real in our lives. 
And furthermore, the, the end goal, the end purpose, of course, is to make us aware of the ultimate danger that, that if I, having been exposed by the law of my sin and confronted with it, that it's not just an aw shucks, I guess I missed the mark and, and didn't make the cut into heaven because there's not some other alternative. There's only two options. It's, it's heaven or it's, it's not. It's, it's hell. Where there's no relief from suffering. There's, there's no change in being cut off from God. It becomes a permanent, eternal thing filled with, with torment. Something that Paul was very acutely aware of as he shares that struggle going on with him and he knows full well what his sin as the law exposed it. He knows full well what his sin deserves. That's what compelled him to say in the end of this section in verse 24, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. He knew that the law made it clear to him he had no hope on his own. That is what the law does. But you know, and I know that Paul also knew another main teaching in Scripture. In fact, the main teaching, the primary teaching, the one that drove him to Jesus. We call that teaching the gospel. The good news. Paul makes it clear that he knew that good news because he didn't put a period and an end of statement after who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death, but in, continued in verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That, that God has chosen to go on a one-man rescue mission for everybody on this planet whose sin is very real and very damning shows how truly He loves us. That Jesus alone was the one who didn't miss the mark but hit that mark of perfection flawlessly. But didn't stop there for all of our missing the mark, for all of our sins. He went to the cross and paid the ultimate price so that those would not count against us either. So that record of perfection and holiness that is required to get into heaven is ours through faith in this Jesus who has delivered us. That is the gospel. That is the great news that we have a Jesus who always only used his tongue, his mouth, his speech to, to speak the truth in love with patience and with gentleness. And where we love to hate our enemies, Jesus alone truly, genuinely did love His enemies, even those nailing Him to the cross. And when Jesus forgives those enemies, He doesn't keep a record of them. He doesn't keep tabs on them to be able to pull out a scorecard later on, but genuinely, truly forgets, forgives that sin completely. And of course, Jesus never made a promise to His Father that he didn't keep. So in light of all of this, our hope is not based on the law, but in the understanding that through faith in this Jesus, when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see the ugly track record, the diagnostic test that, that the law exposes. Instead, what he sees is Jesus' holiness and his perfection through our faith in him. And to know that is to know the gospel. To know that is to rejoice along with Paul and agree, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So maybe the, maybe the real struggle is, is not so much wondering why we struggle with sin and why we will the rest of the days of our life. Actually, 
Paul makes clear that he understood the reason behind that too. In verse 17, he says, As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. That's why that conflict will be constant until the day we die. Maybe instead our question is, how do I overcome that conflict? How do I win more of those battles? How do I gain the upper hand in managing that conflict that is constantly going on internally inside of me each and every day of my life? Well, look where Paul ended up. After all of this back and forth in in all of these verses in our section here from Romans, he ends up at the gospel. He ends up at grace. He knows God's undeserved love for sinners who are all too familiar with that struggle of not being able to carry out the good that we want to do. That grace, that, that gospel is something that is, is powerful. It has this effect. The, the more we see grace at the end of our struggles and our conflict, it actually changes us and becomes something that works in us in the beginning and the middle of that conflict as well. Let me try to explain that. It's already always been a a big struggle, but I suppose it's a sin that has, at least statistically and and, uh, evidence is showing, has been on the rise over the course of quarantine, the struggle with pornography. Something that maybe shouldn't surprise us either, as everybody's quarantined at home, not able to do as much and get out and about, and and we're bored, and, and that temptation becomes very real. So how does that... How does that process carry out? Well, we know that it's wrong. It's, it's something that we don't want to do. But then tempted, we, we give in. And the struggle's real. We, we lose that, that battle. And guilt follows as it inevitably does. Because I don't want to do what, what God doesn't want me to do. I want to be pure as he calls me to be. And, and then the hope and the prayer is that that guilt drives us to grace after repenting of it genuinely being genuinely sorry for this sin, knowing this isn't something that I just blow off. But it's a real struggle that is really also covered by grace. And here's the thing. The more that we endure that struggle, the more that we go through that struggle and and we lose those battles and temptation, but always end up at grace and forgiveness, here's where grace is such a powerful thing. It actually changes my heart. When I realize that if, if I were to fall into temptation and give into that sin every day for the rest of my life, still I could not outsin God's grace and His forgiveness. And the more that, that that grace wraps me up, it actually changes my heart so that I'm not inclined, though I know there is no limit to Jesus' forgiveness, I'm not inclined any longer to put that to the test. That I don't have to use that grace as a license to pursue this sin because I've been freed from it. I'm not bound to it anymore. And it changes my heart also so that I don't desire that sin, that struggle in the same way. So rather than seeing grace and forgiveness as just this safety net on the other end of my sin falling into it, grace takes over in the driver's seat at the beginning of that temptation and oftentimes then it'll even steer us so that we can overcome that temptation, and maybe what was a struggle in the past is no longer because grace has changed us. Grace is that powerful. But that, that challenge, that struggle of, of letting grace be in the driver's seat with our struggles and temptations, 
Well, to be quite honest, it doesn't have as high a success rate when we face that conflict, that temptation on our own. But it makes a world of difference when we enlist the accountability, the encouragement, the support of others. In fact, somebody said, and I'm paraphrasing once, but but he said, so long as man tries to fight temptation alone on his own strength, the devil can rest easy. Because he knows that our success rate in overcoming temptation on our own is not so great. And yet we would prefer to hide and, and keep that shame to ourselves and keep struggling with a sin rather than taking advantage of, of one of the greatest blessings that God has given to us, community, accountability, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and though that might sound terrifying to share a, a struggle or a temptation with somebody else, here's why it works. What channel plays the loudest in your head when you are dealing with a temptation maybe a pet sin, whatever it is, that conflict that's going on in, inside you, what channel has the volume all the way up? Guilt. And guilt is, is not a very effective solution in overcoming sin. But experience has probably taught you that. Now when you bring in your brothers or sisters in Christ, those that, that actually care about you, Guess what they recognize? They recognize, too, that guilt is not terribly effective in helping you overcome sin. So what, what brothers and sisters in Christ, what accountability, what small groups, what, what your close friends who share the same faith with you, what they're going to do is, is seek to turn down that channel on guilt because they know it's not effective in overcoming that conflict, and they're going to turn up the volume on the channel of grace. Because you know what? Grace has a 100% success rate in overcoming sin. So while guilt may move us for a little while to, to change and try harder and do better and next time I won't do this, grace always wins. Because grace reminds us that it's already forgiven and grace reminds us that actually this isn't even your battle to fight. It's a battle that has already been won by Jesus. That's what Paul recognized when he said, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not who delivers me through a concerted effort by being more intentional, by trying harder, but who delivers me through Jesus. And brothers and sisters in Christ point you to Jesus, not guilt. They point you to grace to guide and direct you through temptation and struggle. We're our own worst enemy. Here's, I think, the, the problem. We allow guilt to rent far too much space in our heads and our hearts. And we don't let grace have nearly enough space in those same places. But the more that grace rules and reigns in our minds and our hearts and our spirits, we're going to win more of those battles. We're going to enjoy greater success on that internal conflict. Never perfectly, and I would never make that claim either, this side of heaven, because we will always have that sin struggle doing what it wants to do and, and buck against everything God wants to do, but we'll win more of those battles. And the more we do and the more we see grace win those battles in our lives because it points us to Jesus, the more we'll recognize and echo those very words of Paul. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.